Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is November of 2022. Uh, we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. I am Jeff Greiner. With me, as usual, is Mike Shea. Hello. And also, uh, Sam Dillon. Hello. So, uh, we're going to talk about our games. And I need to set a timer because I don't want any uh, claims that I am gaming the system because I am first today. <laughs> What? That's, what is that's, this? That's you gaming the system. <laughs> that is right there. <laughs> Nonsense right there. So, uh, story. before the recording, I was telling a story about how uh, life conspired in such a way that I've only had two, I think, games in the last month and a half since we recorded last. Um, so it's been it's been a, a, a bit of a thing. When I when we last chatted, I was talking about my descent into Avernus game, um, and they had just gotten to the High Hall in Elturel. Um, it took, I think, it took four sessions to get from where they arrived in Elturel to the High Hall. Uh, I, it, it is not as written. Um, a journey that should take four sessions. Uh, it is It is at most a journey that should take like two, maybe three sessions before you cleared out the high hall. If you include clearing out the high hall, it was about five sessions probably. But I've added um, all kinds of supplemental stuff. I've, I've pulled uh, Encounters in Avernus and Helterel um, um, and maybe a few other things that I, that I pulled inspiration from. And as a result... I, instead of having like two or three encounters on the way to the high hall, there were like, I don't know, 10 encounters on the way to the high hall and a long rest <laughs> in between. So, um, but it allowed me to, to do some interesting things as well, uh, to help try to bring in some, some character stuff. Uh, is, is that, is that where they all go down into the basement and there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on in the basement and then they rescue all the people down below? Uh, I mean, that is kind of a description of a thing that happens there, but there's some other areas, things where that is the case, too. So is there more stuff in Elturel after they get to the High Hall? So, yeah, you get to the High Hall, you clear the... And, and just before you get to the High Hall, like, a bunch of devils invade, and you can, like, see it from the distance. They, they've all run in. And mm-hmm. then uh, it's set up so that the, the it's written to be, like, here's four groups of bad guys, and the DM can just sort of put them wherever he wants. Mm-hmm. Um which I mean, fine. <laughs> in terms of, in terms of design, it's okay. There's not really a much real difference between doing that and just populating them in certain places. Right. Um, but I was able to at least this time because I've run it before with my kids, and so I came up with some some more sort of ideas. And you know, I had one of the groups instead of just running into them, uh, there was one group that was actually there in the the catacombs in the basement talking to the leader of the refugees, trying to like make get him to sign an infernal contract to, for their mm-hmm. safety or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so that's the case in the high hall is is you work your way down to the through a hidden uh, stairway into the catacombs and then from there you find the refugees there's hundreds of them they've been hiding out in the catacombs of the temple um then i did and that's that's really as written probably the first opportunity the players have for a long rest uh since they've arrived in Elturel. um but given that i was like tripling the number of encounters i i allowed one of those to provide an opportunity there was a a crazy wizard trying to come up with a, a new magic item to create an invisible bridge across the big chasm in the middle of the city. Um, and they just needed a little bit more time to, to get it together. So they hold up in, in the warehouse where she was hiding out so she could tinker and finish it. And then, of course, it doesn't work and you have to go to the bridge anyway. But um, the point being, they got a, an extra long rest in there. Um, they cleared out more or less the high hall. Um and then, then I did a, a fairly significant departure. Uh, I threw something in that I thought was a lot of fun, um, partially because I thought it was neat and partially because 
I feel like my my players are not my players. The characters my players are playing um, have not exactly at this point fully embraced the the redemption theme of the adventure. Um, There's a redemption theme. It's pretty much what the whole story is about, right? Yeah, until you're throwing soul coins into a machine. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Uh, and, but like, you know, I do these opening questions at the beginning of every session. That's how they get uh, um, inspiration so I don't have to think about it the whole session. Um, and several times I've asked questions about like, um, you know, what's a thing that you've regretted in your life? Or or what is it that you're seeking redemption for? Whatever. And And the majority of the players, when I ask those kinds of questions, are like, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm good. I'm pretty happy with all my choices. Uh, you know, sure, <laughs> sure. I'm I'm a I'm a murderer for hire, but like I'm good with that. You know, no big deal. Um, so it's hard for to to push towards this uh, redemption theme when they don't feel like they regret any any of their choices. Right. Um, so what I did was to, to to sort of hint at possible redemption. Um, storylines in the future is while they had their long rest, they're in the catacombs. There's hundreds of refugees. It's at large and echoey and there's constant noise or whatever. And then I sort of described it as you wake up in the middle of the night and you wake up because of, because of a, a sudden and eerie silence, right? The, the silence in a room that's that big and that echoey full of that many people is deafening. Uh, and you look around and you notice that nobody else is moving except the other people in your party. And then you hear this sort of tapping and scraping, tap and scrape, working its way through the crowd of refugees towards you. Mm. And this old man with this giant infernal steel banner coming off of his his back, uh, uh, you know, works his way through the crowd. And it turns out, you know, long story short, it turns out that this old man is one of the PCs from the future. You know, Mm. he he does the whole, ah, the old wizard wasn't a complete waste of time anyway. But that means that, that, the spell worked, and, not, and and now that it's been successful, I'll almost certainly fade away any time, any moment now. So I have a limited amount of time to give you some information. Uh, and it was sort of, a, a, you know, so here's the here's the good news. It worked. Everything we came here to do, we did. We killed Zariel. We got Elturel back into the to the real world. Um, everything was was great, except there was nobody. Uh, worthy of, of taking over Avernus once we killed Zeriel. So we took over Avernus. The rest of Hell didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> and so we basically were engaged in a constant war with, with the rest of Hell, which allowed the demons to run rampant all over the material planes. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, and so sort of giving them the like, there's, there, there may be another path worth looking for. Um, and there was a lot of conversation uh, and discussion with the the old future PC about you know this is this is my chance at redemption this is my you know so the the, the concept of redemption came up multiple times uh, and then before he faded away I had I, I took everybody into a separate room and did a one on one the the future person had a little one on one conversation with every single uh, member of the party um, and and that allowed me to sort of justify some things but also so guide some things and kind of in some cases talk about this this redemption theme a little bit more and uh, drove some of the players crazy because it was like the the guy would say a thing and then they would like respond with a question and he would respond he would he would reply with like two words and then it would and then I wouldn't let him go back and forth I would you know <laughs> done that's it. That's all the time he has. And that's all the time I gave anybody was, was you can ask something or you can say something and he's going to respond with two words and that's it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. no back and forth. And that drove some of them crazy. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun. That worked really well. That was something I was I had discussed probably two months ago on the Tome Show's Discord um, to get some ideas about like, okay, help me think this through. Let me, help me see all the angles. Am I going to break the story? Am I going to break the game by doing something weird and quirky like this? Um, I don't know what piece of, of media I've been watching where, where I got that bug in my head to, to do this future, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic version of yourself coming back and warning you sort of thing. Reminds me of the TV show Dark. Have you ever seen that? I have not. But, but it's, it is it, but crazy it's, good. It's, it's a trope that's... Been sure. used, you know, uh, you know, I could probably point to various 
episodes or seasons of Buffy if I needed to, to, to justify it. Um, in any case, um, so after that, they, they then headed out to the, the Grand Cemetery was the goal. It was to head to the Grand Cemetery, find uh, uh, Grand Duke Alder Ravenguard, uh, and bring him back um, for whatever's going on uh, uh, to help protect the people. He's been gone for too long. He took all the, the guards with him, and so the, the refugees are all sort of abandoned and stranded and whatever. Um, I threw in, you know, five additional encounters from the various sources I have there. There was a fun one from Helterel where mm-hmm. they went to a an Albert butcher shop um, <laughs> where it was a butcher shop run by some old adventurer who would like, um, you know, sell exotic meats from monsters and stuff, um, but was getting up there in age and, and in recent years had become, uh, had become a, um, follower of Zeriel who agreed to, to return her to power and youth and vitality and what have you. And uh, so you go in and you fight off the cultists and they rescued a knoll that they were about to sacrifice, which they may come to regret later since they don't <laughs> know that Yunogu is one of the demon lords running around and causing problems. So right. far, all the problems they've run into are followers of Bahamut. So it may not even even occur to them that, that, that letting this knoll go would be a problem. Right. And then they get to fight the, the infernally mutated Hellbear that the shop is named after. Right. Um, so that was fun. And then they got to the, the cemetery, um, which I ran more or less as expected, except for um, I mentioned two of my players are murderers for hire. Um, they wanted to play Shatter Kai. The lore of Shatter Kai in fifth edition is that they are, is, is intrinsically tied to the Raven Queen, uh, a goddess that doesn't exist in the Forgotten Realms. And so, um, you know, I, okay, fine. You're outsiders. You're born and raised in the Shadowfell, um, you know, the, where the Raven Queen does exist. And um, you come here and the Raven Queen doesn't, you know, in the Forgotten Realms, the Raven Queen doesn't have any sort of jurisdiction, if you will. But, hey, now you're in hell and all the gods <laughs> get to, to you know, uh, there's no single death god of hell. Um, so, you know, so I've got the, you know, we're trying to save this Forgotten Realm city but we're assassins from this guild dedicated to the Raven queen and, and whatever. Um, but I also have, I also, and I've talked about this, I've changed the, the companion instead of there being an angel inside the companion, mm-hmm. um, inside the companion is Kaz, mm-hmm. um, of the sort of Kaz. Yes. Of the sort of Kaz who is, um, you know, the, the, the hated enemy of Vecna, which will lead to all kinds of fun things. Um, they only know him as the betrayed and Kaz in this case, very explicitly set them up with, with a, uh, a contract through their assassins guild. And the contract was to kill um, what's his name at the grand cemetery. Who's like the leader of the hell riders, but turned into a vampire thing and worships. Their- oh, um, yeah. 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 Elf, elf dude. He's not an elf, I don't think. Oh, but. there's another elf that's turned into a vampire. That's a different dude. That's uh, yeah. Jalister son. Yeah, that that's the guy. Um, right. But this is this is the guy who. He's one that's like a death knight. I forget. Yeah. It's been so this, long. This is somebody. But the, the, they're an Elturel. You run into him early on. I, I the name excuse me for the moment. Um. But anyway, yeah. So um, they met him, but the first contract was to kill him. And there's this whole bit about how when you run into him in the Grand Cemetery, he's like, are you here to kill the demons? As long as you're killing demons and you leave everything else alone, like you've got free reign, go do what you want. And then demons come up from this from the stairwell and and he and, and his minions go off and fight the, the demons. And if the players just leave him alone, he basically leaves them alone. Is it is it Haruman? No, Haruman's off of Alterel. That's at the hill. He's he's turned into a Narzagon. I'm just going to name everyone. There's Lightward, Gideon Lightward. Gideon Lightward. Yeah, that's yeah. the one I was talking about, right? Yeah. Um, so. And Jandar Sunspire, yeah. Yeah. Y- so, Yale. so one of the. So, so these two players have a contract and there's room on the contract for three different names, but only one of them appears at a time. And the first one is Gideon Lightward. Mm-hmm. And so while everybody else is like, 
okay, sure, we'll only kill the demons, no problem, let's just go do that. And then this fight breaks out, and they team up with with Gideon to kill off the demons, and then as soon as the demons are gone, these two assassin characters immediately start attacking Gideon, and the rest yeah. of the players are like, oh, all right, you know. So, what, what level? What level are they? Six. Okay. And Gideon's not actually a full vampire. He's sort of this... They, they gotcha. even describe it as sort of... The, he's sort of a pseudo vampiric kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, so, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, He's like a weird zombie thing. Well... He's, he's got a strange... He looks very vampire-y. He looks vampire-y, and that's kind of how yeah. they describe him, is a little vampire-y. But, yeah. Uh, and he's raising all the undead out of the cemetery and what have you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, they kill him off. They get it down into the ossuary underneath, and I... Kind of, we were at that point. We were like at stopping point, and I remembered from my reread through getting ready to to run that session. Like, there's really nothing in the the five or six rooms of the ossuary mm-hmm. until you get to the end where. Um, yeah, I skipped almost. Artist. I skipped almost all of it. Well, I just so, had them go down there and find so refugees. I just sort of this is this is a different place. See, I told you there's different stuff in the basement. The, they, refu- <sighs> the refugees are in the, are in the the high hall. I guess in mine they had to rescue people. Well, I had I had a different set. They're, so there was other people they had to rescue there. They're there to rescue Elder. Raven oh, that's Gardner, right, Elder Ravengard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Who's, who's been entranced by the right. or, or he's in a mental combat with Baphomet uh, right. through the artifact, the the helm of Tormsite. Right. Um, so anyway, um, I'm like, it's, it, I know it's quitting time, but like, let me just tell you what you find in these three rooms and then we can, we can finish the session on the cliffhanger and then you enter the room and there's Alder Ravenguard and he seems to be trapped in his own mind and there's a portal there to, to the abyss. Okay. We'll pick up there next time. <laughs> you know, that's a much, much more satisfying ending than, well, all right, you killed Gideon Lightward and you, you went into one room and we'll just pick up. After, you know, with the rest of the rooms later, um, no. So that way, this Friday we can we can open with, and you're in this room, and bad guys come through the portal. Roll for initiative. That's that's our opening thing. So every single month for the last several months, I, I've had questions I wanted to ask about um, getting some some inspiration for integrating my players better into the story in Avernus, which is tricky because. Their stories are all prime material based, mm-hmm. um, but I keep I, I always run out of time because despite the fact that my entire notes for uh, tonight has four bullet points, I successfully talked for over fifteen minutes. So, I will, <laughs> so there's I will one there's one thought on there's one thought that I have. You yeah. got I mean only a couple of the characters are assassins that are tied to this whole assassination yeah, thread. Two of them. Yeah, two of them are, are assassins. But but I'll tell you the Kill Bill model works really well. Where like you have the Hell Riders, right? You have these. You know, and I the way I ran so Avernus has a very distinct theme problem going on in that whole adventure. Anyway, they didn't know they didn't know what kind of theme to have when they wrote it. So it's you know having it work the way you've had it work doesn't make it any less messy than it is if you try to run it itself because they can't tell is it a redemption arc or is it like a fall from grace and they can't they can't seem to you know the the themes keep back going back and forth. But what worked really well for me uh, was running it as a, a basically a hunt for the five generals right that there's these five there's these five generals of zariel all of them sort of have different things that are going on some of them are are true bad to the bone in my version of it mm-hmm. some were true bad to the bone some were wanted to be redeemed some realized what they had done and wanted to be redeemed right. but the 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 kill bill arc of their little assassin list just keeps naming generals and they have to go after them and some of them they kill some of them they have to ally with some of them kill themselves you know there's all these right. kinds of fun angles to go that can still tie into the whole well, assassin there's at arm. least there's at least one the, the the death knight that in the crypt that yeah. that is like an unwilling right. uh, general who would rather right. side right. with you against Ariel. Yeah, it, it was really. It's, it's yeah. also it's, it's uh, so much uh, fun to go with that. You you go kill Bill. My first thought was that that's uh, that's Scott Pilgrim going through yeah, all the the, sure. the evil ex boyfriends, the, the bosses. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah, and and or like you know John Wick in hell. Right. Like, you know, there's 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 a lot of I think there's I think there's an angle that that could definitely well, and, go. And, and I liked it's a lot of the goofy I, ass plot. I remember we talked about it when you were running it and you had, you know, there's the path of demons and path of devils right. at one point. And, either, either of those worked for me. Yeah. And, and they, they both work for me fine. But I actually really like uh, Evan Tears um, bundle on it has this whole document on how to turn that all into more of a sandbox. 
Yeah, um, right. That I think is a lot more interesting. But you yeah. did you did a Path of the Hellriders. Path of the Hellriders, yeah, right? Which I also yeah. really liked. And I do have two characters in the party that are Hellrider connected. One of them is a Hellrider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a Hellrider paladin of no god, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. And then I've got a descendant of Hellriders, the the son, you know, the, the a dragonborn whose parents are both Hellriders, who's a cleric uh, of of Bahamut. Um, and so, and so I, you know, I, I describe him as, uh, uh, it's, it's the one who took the oath, but not the vows and the one who took the vows, but not the oath. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's an, it's an interesting pair, but they're both Hellrider connected. So, so the Hellrider connection for them is going to be strong. I've got another one that I've hinted at as possibly being a ball spawn, um, which could be an interesting thing to bring in. Cause it's amazing how much balls symbol is the, on the cover of the book. <laughs> and yet ball plays almost no role in the story right um, yeah and so i've got some supplements that talk about how to integrate it more and i'm i'm considering some of that as well yeah. um but yeah so the next when when um when gideon lightward's name was was crossed off on the the contract the next name that appeared was ragadraga um, I don't remember who that is. Ragged Drag is just some random warlord. It's it's like the guy you defeat oh, yeah. your first Infernal War Machine yeah. sort of guy. Um, but the idea is that it's it's Kaz who's who's given them this contract, right? Kaz doesn't mm-hmm. give a crap about any of Zer- this Zeriel. B- it doesn't mm-hmm. matter to him at all. Kaz cares about the fact that Archon is running around with the the hand of Vecna down here. So the contract is just setting them up. Well, I need to get them out of Elturel. I can use Gideon Lightward to get them out of Elturel, and then then they'll, then I then the next step is Ragadraga because they're going to have to have some way of getting around. And then the next step is go hunt down Archon, and then heads are going to explode. <laughs> right? Because I've also started laying the groundwork that um, the Dragonborn's like ancestor uh, that Archon is one of the Dragonborn's ancestors. Um. From you know who knows hundreds of years ago, whatever, and there, and so I, that could be a fun little crossing of the streams with them too. But yeah, anyway, lots of cool stuff going on, and now I've gone even more over my time. Uh, so I will very quickly let people know that if you want to support Behind the DM Screen and the other Tome Show shows, you go to uh, Patreon.com/slash/TheTomeShow, and you can back us there for as little as a dollar a month, and it helps me pay the bills that makes all the stuff possible. So behind the DM screen and the book club have been, both been going strong uh, in the last year or so. And of course, Edition Wars is like 50% of our content or more these days. So um, <laughs> in, in fairness, though, Edition Wars is like also some of our most popular content. So keep it up, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up is... I mean, it, does, it doesn't hurt that we record like 12 episodes right around Christmas and then release them all at once. Yeah. <laughs> You do that, and and then and then you also because you did, you did you you've been doing your your playtest uh, discussions, and like what was the last one you had four you broke into four episodes. Uh, I don't know. It was what at least I three. I want to say four. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember how many it was. And I don't know what your process is, but in my head, I'm imagining that you're sitting down and recording those four episodes at like one or two sittings at a time. Uh, those are all recorded in one sitting, one sitting. So you, you sat with, sat it down on the phone with Brandis and talked for like five hours about the playtest documents. That second one might've been two recordings, but no more than two. (laughs) Yeah. Look, we're edition wars. We can talk, you know, we just, that's, that's kind of our thing. We just start talking and I press record and then we end it at some point, two hours later. Do you have any sense, uh, any hints that you can give as to what, the uh, 12 days are going to be this year? No, I'm sorry. We haven't even thought about it. You thought, it's not no, that it's, far that's away. That's not true. We've already, we've <laughs> yeah. already recorded three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am, cannot tell you what it is. I'm no, sorry. No, it's it's no, always got to be a surprise. No teasers? It's, Jeff it's can't even know what's on his own podcast now. Well, great. I'm sure if I asked him off the recording. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, all right. Off, very good. Off camera, I would tell Jeff. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, in that case, Mike, it's your time. I'm putting Yay. 15 minutes on the clock, and we're going to stick to it. Oh, right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about my um, Empire of the Ghouls game, because I don't talk about it anywhere else. 
Uh, so I've been running, I'm now into chapter two of Empire of the Ghouls. I can't remember if it's five or six chapters for Empire of the Ghouls. This is a hardcover Cobalt Press adventure. Uh, uh, Richard Green uh, was the mm-hmm. primary the developer of it, but there were other writers that wrote different parts of it as well. And it is a ver- very much like a Storm King's Thunder for Midgard. It is a huge... You know, it, it wasn't until I really got into it and really started reading it that I, I recognized that this is a huge spanning adventure. Like it, you travel, you can travel. I think there was one part where I actually pulled up like the Cobalt Press map and it's like 4,000 miles in one wow. chapter. Yeah, you travel a tremendous distance. It also takes place in some of the most popular places of Midgard, including Zobek, the, the main city in the crossroads, uh, the, dwarf, the dwarven cantons to the north. Then you go to the Northlands themselves, which has this very sort of, you know, Nordic sort of mm-hmm. feeling to it. And then you end up going south to the Southlands and you, you have a big chunk in that's set in the Southlands. And then you go underground to the actual kingdom of the ghouls that, that exists, that exists underground itself. So it's a very, it's what I am enjoying and embracing when I'm running it is how it is really like a travel guide to Midgard. Like it's a, it's a campaign that you can run that really shows off Midgard. And it's, it's the kind of adventure I've been t- wishing every campaign setting ever did as like their first adventure campaign or whatever. To, yeah. As a travel log to really help us understand and grok the setting. Right. Yeah. Now that's also a detriment. Mm. I, I feel like, and I'm not the only one other people have kind of mentioned that chapter two, so chapter one, takes place in Zobek. It's really, it's, it's really fun and, and pretty good. Chapter two, the, you, it's too much travel. Like you're, you're, you're going from Zobek. You, you, you spend like, you know, two weeks getting to Dwarven Cantons and then it's like, Oh, sorry, your princess is another castle. And then you have to travel like another two weeks to this other place. And then you meet this guy and he's like, now we got to go traveling together. And then you get there. It's like, Oh, now you're going to have to travel South for three weeks to, you know, there's one part where there's one mission that you get near the end of the adventure that it's like a three week journey there and back to basically go rescue some people at a castle. And you're like, Oh my God. So I, 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 you know, recognizing this, I condensed a ton of it down. Like I took the guy that you meet that's far away from the Cantons. I'm like, no, he's at the Cantons. Like when you go there, you're going to the Cantons. And instead of like having to travel and then go on one of the, uh, one of the shadow roads, one of these, this, these ley line elven paths, I'm like, I'm doing that right here. And that's going to get them right to the next spot. And then that castle where they have to go rescue those people, Mm -hmm. that's going to be like right next to the town. Like that's, you know, we're not doing three weeks, you know, one way of, of travel. So I'm, I'm shrinking down a lot of that, still getting him to the right places. Um, but I'm shrinking down a lot of that. Um, the other thing that I, I had kind of, uh, you know, uh, that I worried about was that, um, I, my players just played through wild beyond the witch light. And there was all sort of that zany Feywild stuff going on. Mm. And then I'm like, now I'm going to send them on a shadow road and they're basically going to be doing Feywild stuff all over again. Now, granted, like the shadow, the shadow realm in Midgard is not the same as like the, 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 the Feywild in, in D and D and in, 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 you know, D and D's cosmology, but it's still similar. Um, so I'm trying to make sure that that feels different, that it still has that kind of, you know, grim fantasy fairy tale ideas to it, mm-hmm. but it is also, I need it to feel different than, than, uh, wild beyond the witch light feels. And the characters just crossed over into the, they, they, they went to this dwarven canton. There's this castle called, I think it's like the, the black citadel or something like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, the can, the cantons exist. And I had this kind of fun thing that they met the, the, the royalty there, these royals, these displaced royals who have been kicked out of their homeland because the vampires took over everything to the east because King Luke and this vampire lord and all of his guys had taken over everything in the east. And so they're hanging out there trying to figure out what their next move is. And they're like, well, and then the, 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 you know, the heir is like, well, I'm going to, I need to get to this other town. That's the town of Jost to the north. I need to get there because I'm trying to build up armies and I can't do it sitting here. I, the dwarf, I've got some dwarves on my side, but not enough that we could do anything with it. And I need to get other people. So I'm going to, I need to go to the town of Jost. And when I go there, I can start building up a bigger army and start making our presence known and recognize that this thing. And I need somebody to take me there. Cause the only way there is through a, through a shadow road. There's a shadow road called the archer's walk. And I need to take the archer's walk to, to get there. But I, I hear that it's dangerous going through the shadow road. So I could use, some people to help help me get through and the characters are like well and he's like and i'll tell you about this artifact you need there's this the, the whole the whole macguffin for this adventure is ca- capturing getting a hold of these things called the, the holy robes of sister adeline 
and which I think is like a scrap of cloth inside of an amulet. <laughs> you know, it's like they're like all oh, the players like I can't wait to be wearing those robes, and like it's like you know it's a piece of <laughs> tissue, it's a piece of tissue paper. Uh, so so they uh, so, and he's like I know where that is, like I know who has it, I know where it is, and I can be an introduction to you that can help get you this thing. But in, in order for me to do that, I need you to to, to guard me while we go across the shadow roads. Uh, the, the archers walk. So they went to the archers walk. I had some really fun thematic stuff where they ended up like in a, a, a massive, like, um, you know, a giant's battleground, like a battle, like a Titanic battleground mm-hmm. where these huge Titans fought each other long ago. And there's this one, I forget what it's called. The, the It starts with an H, but it's essentially like a, a, a Titan that walks around eating other bodies. And they saw that thing and it like, it's like carrying coffins behind it. And it like looks over at them and they're like, Oh man. And then they hear a whistle and it distracts it. And it goes off a different way. So they were like, we're like, we're not fighting that thing at fourth level. Like, you know, whatever the hell that thing is. So they got to kind of see some neat stuff before they've made their way there. And then they got jumped by, um, uh, Shadow Fae bandits, uh, who, uh, my, my fun little intro for, for this whole next session is that some Shadow Fae bandits are in right at the edge of where this Cyclopean battlefield connects to, uh, Archer's Walk. And, um, they already have an artifact that they picked up in this battlefield that they're going to go sell to the, the witch queen. There's this witch queen lady. Uh, I, I, I got her. I had to look up her name while we were talking. And of course, that, that's I, a nice I, change of pace from, from, uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight though. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the worry. So in this case, it's like, she's like this, the, the queen of witches and she's on the archer's walk with like some minions and they're waiting for the bandits to come and sell her this item. And the item has a, it's a single use item that has like an empowered maze spell on it. There's a, in, 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 in deep magic, there's a more powerful maze spell and she wants it to like trap her greatest enemy, right? She's like, I'm going to use this to trap my greatest enemy. And these jackasses, these, these bandits found it in that Cyclopean battlefield. The characters are going to fight them get it from them and they're going to show up and she's sitting there saying like, I, I expected these bandits to come and sell me this item where, you know, where, where is it? And, and the characters have it. And then the bear folk show up and the bear folk are like, you know, Hey, we know who they're talking to the witch. And they're like, we know who you are. We know you're like the queen of witches and you're out of your territory and you're in our territory. You're, you're in territory that does not belong to you. And you know that this is a violation of the, the principles that we have here in the shadow realm. And yes, you could kill all of us. We know that too. But that doesn't stop the fact that we have to confront you about this, right? We, you know, and so there's this tension that's going to exist between these bear folk scouts and the witch queen and the characters. And she's like, well, I'm not leaving till I have this thing. And so the characters have to like figure out like, how do we negotiate this whole thing? And, and they might end up keeping the item and the item has like an eight, a ninth level spell on it. Right. So like there, one, one point in this campaign, they might be able to trap a villain, their most powerful villain, well, you know, in a it's, maze. It's a, it's a little bit like uh, the, the, scroll of Tarask summoning or yeah or exactly meteor, or the right. giant meteor comet i've always i've always had fun uh putting powerful magic items in the hands of of, of characters mm-hmm. that are way oh, way underpowered for it uh especially if they're like a single use uh i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to find the the spell that it, that's got i wrote it down here but i can't find it so um so that's kind of the you know, the, 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 the art. And then, and then it's like, well, now I want to make them traveling along the shadow road kind of fun and interesting. I, I drew up a point crawl of different places that they go on the shadow road. There's like little secret paths they could take to get involved in other shenanigans. And then they actually have a choice. Uh, there's a, there's a elven ruined city that's on the North coast and they can follow the archers walk directly to that city. I forget the name. It's like Spire or something like that. And, uh, they have this elven city that they can go to, but the city is really dangerous. Or they can take this offshoot path and go to this less dangerous ruin that's closer to Jost, that gets them closer there, but but they have to take this like slightly less traveled path, and that could be dangerous too. And then kind of, you know, filling out things that they have to do along both of these paths is, is kind of the next thing. And then they get to Jost, and then they find out that the people who have the artifact that they're looking for had already left. Again, Princess is another castle. And then they, they, they go to that castle, and then they, they actually go rescue these these folks, which I think are going it to be sound, related to one of the characters. It sounds a little bit like, uh, what was it, Out of the Abyss, where it's just travel, 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 travel. Yeah. And in this, in this case, the travel doesn't feel as long, and then you keep yanking the prize out from under them. Over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. that feels more frustrating to me than just 
travel for 30 days of random encounters or whatever. And then you, and then you get somewhere. But then right. you get where you want to be. Yeah. yeah no, in this case, that's the problem is like, there's like five lines of travel. Right. With, with little pit stops along the way. And they're all interesting. Like the players, I'll tell you the feedback I get from my players is like, they love Midgard and they love having this okay. new world to explore. And they like the weird gods and they like the strange tensions and they like that, you know, there's this empire, this undead empire right on the edge of everything. They're really enjoying all of that. So I do, think, do I don't, I don't like... think it's going to be a problem. Do they like the the fact that like I assume it sounds like you're using deep magic spells and you're using yes. the the, yep. the oh that's the, a whole other yeah the yeah, hero so. the hero's handbook races right. and all that so kind of stuff it's it's a challenge so I have two different Midgard games that I'm running I'm running Scarlet Citadel on my Sunday group and I'm running Empire of the Ghouls for my Wednesday group and both groups I I really wanted to embrace using third party character yeah. options like I've used third party supplements on the dm side all the time but i really wanted to get this idea of like can we build more thematic thematic campaigns that are using third-party stuff and it has been a real struggle like you know they i'll tell you man dnd beyond right has broken people that's exactly what i was gonna ask yeah i've got players and they are just working their asses off to try to keep using dnd beyond when it's clearly not working Right. Like it's, it's, it's not. And I, I had a player with two, he's a, a good, good dude. Love him. Very smart guy. Operate. He has two characters in two different campaigns and both of them, he picks up classes from sources that weren't allowed. Right. <laughs> and it's just because like DD beyond doesn't tell you. So if you pick a hex blade, a hex blade is from Xanathar's, but if you pick it in your character options, there's nothing that tells you it's from Xanathar's. Right. It's like, if you own Xanathar's it's available like everything else. And you have to go like way out of your way to see what sources an ability is and i have like a thing which is like don't ever choose a source don't go to the character builder and pick a source go to the book read the sources and then add them to your character sheet but better is just use a paper character sheet right and so they have like a lot of them are using paper character sheets but i'll tell you it's a lot of grumbling yeah you know and there's a lot of like oh god it's like doing See, income that's, taxes. that's I, I i have like all of the midgard stuff and i've never actually run I, i've used it and supplemented my my yeah, normal D right. game you know um, the various Tome of Beasts or Creature Codex stuff shows up all the time, and yep. on a completely different third-party uh, Book of Fiends from Green Ronin has been yep. been a yep. great supplement to. Yeah, hey, instead, of, instead of yeah. instead of our our fifth combat in a row with Spine Devils, why don't I pull out something else from Book of Fiends? Has been great. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm imagining like I I would love to also run. The same, the same campaign, uh, or mi- any of the others that I have uh, yeah. from uh, Midgard, and yet I don't know how my players would handle not having. D- They've been using it exclusively I know. since before. Well, and I was how even crazy! In the group. It's like it's not that old, right? Like D and D Beyond hasn't been around that long. It's only been around about. I don't even think it's been around half of as long as Five E. Like we've been playing Five E without D and D Beyond longer than we've been playing without it. With it, did we? Yeah, right. It's like it it feels like we've had it forever. It hasn't it's not that I, old. I, I feel like D&D <laughs> Beyond came out like a year after 5e came out. Not that soon. No. no? It, no, I don't think so. Sam can look know. it up. Um but like <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Jeff talk, Sam's the researcher. <laughs> yeah, I talk. But I don't you know, it it, it hasn't been around like and f- when it first came out, it wasn't really that usable. It took them a while to get to the point where it was well, like a really tool it came out more usable than most of the watching beyond tools. okay i've done the research thank D&D you be- indeed beyond came out it it released on august 15th 2017 and so it's two years after fifth edition came out is that right so i guess it has been around well 20 2014 Five is years. when fifth edition yeah. launched right mm-hmm. so but it's like so. we played a long time without it like i've you know <laughs> right and and yet Immediately now we're like oh, I can't imagine ever playing D and D without D and D Beyond. Like oh god, like we're so screwed if that's true, right? <laughs> like this hobby is screwed if that's true. Yeah. And boy, think about the amount of material that's not in D and D Beyond that really experienced people are playing. There are people working at D and D at Wizards of the Coast right now who have got got that job because they made a ton of really great third party stuff that you can't use in D and D Beyond. Right. So it's 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 that's frustrating, and I don't. There's not a good solution. I haven't found one. Well, so like and, I'm. And, and given their previous licensing deals and now the fact that they're owned by wizards means that they're yeah, it's not going to get any better third party. Although that right. said, so I told you, I just told you that I use a lot of green Ronin's book of fiend, uh, not a lot. I've used a handful of green Ronin's book of fiend stuff in there. And, and every time I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this thing. Let me do the homebrew thing and add it to my, to oh. my library of homebrew oh. stuff. But every single time before I go and create it, yeah, 
I search for it and somebody else has already put it yeah. in there. <laughs> and guess what? That's illegal. Like they're violating two different license agreements when they do that. Right. <laughs> they, they are. They're violating D&D Beyond who says yet, you're not allowed to put yet, copyrighted I, material. I have paid and for the all the products and it saves my ass. So fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, still illegal. It is. So, no. Yeah. And, and so that's not a solution, right? But that that is that's been a that's been a real struggle. And yeah, it's true. Like, you know, I mean, using monsters has never been a problem. And and I tell you, running a Numenera campaign for almost a year helped me realize that like you can play games without other things. But but I know I've had a lot of people who are like, oh man, we we missed Indie Beyond and they don't like it. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out like that's something I want to spend more time on is is trying to figure out how to make it easier to use paper character sheets again. Like what are the best practices for being able to do that. And I, I talked to my players about it and they had some really good suggestions for it. Like understand the relationship between your proficiency bonus and your ability scores. Because if you know both of those, you know everything else. Like you don't ever have to think about weird skill bonuses because they're all just proficiency plus ability. So as long as you know what your proficiency is, you can, you know, and, and mark that on your sheet, you know, then you're in a better spot. But proficiency gets buried a lot of times and people don't understand. They, they're like new players have no idea what the hell it means. Right. So, yeah. So it's been fun. So I'm really enjoying, uh, I am really enjoying Empire of the Ghouls. Uh, I'm, 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 there's, you know, in my sort of metric of like, a, a, of ranking adventures, uh, I definitely say like, there's, there's work I feel like I have to do to get this one wrangled to a spot, which is always sort of, it's not, the kiss of death exactly but it means that like you know it's it's harder than one where i feel like i i can change things just because i feel like it right and and most of it so far is coming from that tremendous amount of travel i don't know but i'm you know i've got many more chapters to go before i before i know how a set plays out yeah well that's good i'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about empire of the ghouls because it's one that i've considered for a long time it was one when we did our um our big vote our, our election day extravaganza where we had everybody vote on, on best adventures and whatever. Um, Empire of the Ghouls was literally the only third party adventure that was even competitive. Interesting. Uh, and it had, yeah. it had a big following. I think some of the kobold folks um, mm -hmm. did some, some real campaigning uh, yeah. and it ended up doing, I think fairly well um, in the whole thing. I think it, as I recall, Curse of Strahd was number one, but like, Empire of the Ghouls might have been top three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I mean, just, you know, one last little thought is like the nice thing about running a campaign like this, both Scarlet Citadel and Empire of the Ghouls, is how much it opens me up to all of the other stuff that Cobalt Press has been publishing over the last right. five or six years. So I'm, I've got all four Tome of Beast books now that I'm that I'm going through. I'm, you know, it, I can use the Southlands book. I got the Book of Ebon Tides, uh, which I yeah. drew in. I already ran a lot of stuff for Margrave, but you could easily use a lot of material from Margrave. Mm -hmm. So there's all of these other supplements that are all kind of tied into this world that I can bring in and use. Deep Magic. I'm using Deep Magic for weird ass spells nobody's ever seen before. I'm I, using no, see, Vault of that. Magic. For, I've done that for, forever. I, I yeah. Like, Here's a weird thing. I'm going to throw this spell sure. that you've never heard of before. Yeah. And you have yeah. To custom put in the D and D Beyond if you want to use it, sort of thing. Yeah. I've done. I've done that. I've done that a little bit, but this one, like, I'm I'm right. way using the Cobalt Press books more well, than I'm using the original. Right. The and, original and that, books. that's where I'm like, that's where my my players would revolt is is if I told them you got to use the the Cobalt Press uh, uh, races and spells and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think the cell, the cell is to be like, here's a whole bunch of subclasses you guys have never seen before. Right. Right. And there, and some of them are really cool. And by the way, there's some fun broken stuff in here too. <laughs> so, you know, all you have to do is find it. So I might, my hope is to, to, that people get excited about running this stuff. Cause it's like, it's all of these other options. You're not just stuck with the same options we've been playing with for years. We have all new things that we can try out. So, yeah, that is it for me. All right. Uh, in that case, I want to remind folks that the Tome Show has social media. We have a Facebook page. We have uh, a Twitter account that I know Mike is super excited about. Um, <laughs> but probably a, where a Twitter account? What's that? <laughs> right. Uh, probably the the best um, experience I get on on Tome Show social media is the Discord channel. Um, it is. It is big enough that if people come in with questions, there will be a conversation, but not so big that uh, you can't keep up with the conversations like some other uh, uh, people's Discord channels. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jeff. Are. My my Discord is just so so popular. 
It is. That, yeah, yeah, I apologize for people I, I, loving the Sly Flourish discourse. I, I, I'm a real fan of the, the sweet spot where <laughs> right. you can have any conversation, but I don't feel like I got to work. It's a job to keep up. So. You could just you could just hang out in there and enjoy the conversations like I do. Yeah, well, I, I'm I, I'm in the I'm in your channel. I don't check in very often, but I'm there. <laughs> so anyway, we have all those social media things. Look for the Tome Show on all those places. Um, that's it. All right, Sam. All right. Uh, well, let's strict see. Strict minutes on the clock. Go. Strict, yeah, strict strict minutes. Um, so let's see. Uh, I think that um, I can't remember what I talked about last time. So far, so I'm here's con- so far as I'm concerned, you just finished D and D brief because I just finished listening to it like last week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did, <laughs> did you like Did you like the ending? Yeah. No, it was great. Yeah. It was fun. Okay. Good. Um, anyway, so for those of you that would like to listen to that, that's on the Tome Show podcast feed. Anyway, under actual play. So uh, here's here's the thing. So I ran a couple of games in early October at uh, Virtual Greyhawk Con, and I ran Castles and Crusades because that is one of my favorite systems. And um, and it was really really fun because I ran my own homebrew modules. And you know, anytime you run homebrew stuff at a con. It's kind of, you know, there's always this question of, oh, is this going to come off well, right? Uh, and I learned a ton of stuff, and it was really fun. I'm probably going to release those on my website at some point if my work would slow down and I could actually get some RPGing time. Um, I say that that way, but I do actually get RPGing time because I after that convention, I started back up my CNC campaign that we had put on hiatus in July of 2021. It started back up in in just a couple weeks ago. So I'm super happy about that. Almost all the players came back. One of them couldn't because his work schedule changed. It went on hiatus because my work schedule got really crazy and changed. That's impressive. In my experience, if a game goes on hiatus for more than a month, it's a dead game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which is my experience as well. And I kind of had almost written it off, but you know, and then I, I was talking to a couple of the players, and they were like, "Oh, would, would you ever consider starting this game back up again?" And I said, "You know, yes, I would. Let me, let me do that." And so I contacted all the players, and again, all, all but one came back, and the one would come back, but his work schedule just doesn't let him, because um, I also had to change the day that we meet because of my work schedule. And uh, and then we got an, another player, so I still have a full house, got a full boat, and um, you know, and it's just super fun. It's a campaign of my own making. It's completely homebrew. It's uh, it, it's actually in the Castles and Crusades default setting, which is named Aired, uh, because I used to stream it on the Trollord Games uh, Twitch channel because that's that's who makes that game, right? Um, and I, I now stream it on my own channel, um, but I still kept it in that setting. Uh, but, uh, but otherwise the, the entire, uh, thing is just of my own making. So it's my own, um, adventure. It's my own campaign. It's my own setup just in that setting, uh, which is fun to do because I, I, that's my sort of normal state of being right is running homebrew stuff. I don't typically just run adventure modules, you know, uh, but I spent last year running rhyme of the frost maiden or the last two years running rhyme of the frost maiden. And I get really burnt out on running, um, published things, right? I almost feel like I do more work to run a published module or published adventure path, so to speak, than I do when I just run homebrew. It's a lot easier to adjust when you're running homebrew because you already know what's flexible in the storyline and what's not, and you know sort of who the main villains are and who aren't. And if something changes, you just take some notes and then you can adjust later on. But if it's something written and you're trying to kind of stick to the script – in a way, it's harder to adjust. For me personally, it's harder to adjust. I know a lot of people only run published stuff, so I, I don't, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not begrudging that. I'm just saying for me, it's it's different. But I, I say that, but now I got to tell you what my second game is that I started. I have now started to run Pathfinder 2 uh, on, on the weekends, um, and both of these games are weekly. So I finally get my wish to be able to run a weekly game uh, again. Um, and now I'm running two weekly games, so <laughs> so uh, so that's <laughs> one of those things, right? But it's funny because in Pathfinder Two, I'm running an adventure path because I don't have time to prep 
the campaigns for both and the and the brain power to prep mm-hmm. and be creative and do all that stuff. Like as much as it takes more work to for me to kind of prep a, a, a you know a published campaign, also everything really is done for me and the work is different, right? Um, so. You know, anyway, take that for what it's worth. Uh, I'll probably be telling you next month, you know, it totally went off the rails and I'm okay with that because it's easier for me to homebrew. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, but it's it feels good. We had a session zero last Sunday. We've got our first actual session of the campaign this coming Sunday. I've got some really great players uh, and it's going to be super fun. I'm running the Extinction Curse Adventure Path, which is really, really hard on the players. And Pathfinder 2 is really fun for me so far so i'll keep checking in you know i had talked on this uh podcast slash stream show last about six months ago or so about running traveler and the thing about running traveler is i then got invited to play in a traveler game and so i had to think about that and then i accepted that invitation so now i'm playing in a traveler game so i didn't want to run the traveler game that i'm also playing in so i I'm not going to run that travel game, at least until next year. So, because one of the things that I think we had said early on this year was, I want to start up at least two campaigns this year. And one of them I thought was going to be Traveler. And that that has changed now. So now it's Castles and Crusades and Pathfinder 2. No 5th edition. I'm burnt out on 5th edition. I don't want any more 5th edition. Uh, not Nothing against it. I still love it. It's a great game. And obviously, I mean, it's one of the most popular editions, if not the most popular edition. So I'm not, I'm not definitely knocking Definitely the it. most popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by like, not, by like four saying, orders of magnitude. Right? I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I played so much of it. I'm I'm done with it for a while. I might come back to it later. I don't know. It depends. Depends on what one D and D ends up like. Sixty six E. It just depends, right? Um, but I'm happy playing other games. So that's okay. I've always been a person that played a lot of different games. So I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, we definitely took a break too. I I I played I played you know both the long Numenera campaign and a and a. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other one? The uh, short blades in the dark, short yeah, yeah. blades in the dark campaign. It was good to take yeah. a break. Didn't you play a shadow? You played a shadow of the demon lord. I, I right? did play shadow of the demon lord. It was a while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. tried. To, I tried to doing a break like that, and uh, it went poorly, as as is documented uh, on this stream <laughs> in the past. So. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I've always played a lot of different games. Um, generally, generally, I don't play long campaigns of other games like I usually play in D&D slash Pathfinder. You know, like my fantasy games are my long go to genre, right? Like I can run a really, really years long campaign in that and usually not get too burnout. Um, and that's partly why the published adventure versus homebrew stuff is hard for me because I like to have that sort of long form, long distance campaign rather than a short one. Um, and so then the published thing sort of makes me feel like I have a timeline I have to match to. Right. And yeah, so it's a me thing. Don't worry about it. I'm not knocking published adventures. I see well, all the support for published adventures here in the, in the chat. <laughs> I'm not knocking them. I'm really not. I run them. Okay. I, I just hate published adventures so much. Um, <laughs> Well, I know. I mean, I, I recognize it because it was right after you ran Descent into Avernus that you switched out. So, or not Descent into Avernus, sorry, uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Frostmaiden, yeah. Because well, of our both, yeah. our mutual hatred of that adventure finally That's, broke you of that. So, um, it's, my, it's, it's, it's my second or third favorite fifth edition. Out of, out of two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Tomb of Annihilation is the best. <laughs> um, I like, we can agree with that. Tomb of, uh, not the best, but it was very, very good. Uh, that's a whole other show. So, <laughs> did you have? Should, do you are your players? You're both so, so dead wrong because we we can just do that for no, no, we're good. Yeah, yeah. We don't, I think we've had um, that conversation Mike, Mike many and times. I, so. Mike and yeah. I agree that Descent is not that great. So you're out right. Yeah, yeah, we both have that. Um, <laughs> do you, oh, I, I, do you I, I have know trouble I stand alone there? That's fine. I'll yeah. do, Sam, do you have yeah. trouble with your players getting used to like oh, castles and crusades? Mm-hmm. I presume there's no D and D Beyond for castles and crusades. No, there's not. Right. So do you have any? Yeah, so it's a very easy, simple. It's simple though. So, like, um, the the character sheets are less dense than a fifth edition character sheet, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's more like you know, uh, it plays kind of like first edition AD and D, but 
the system is very it's it's With streamlined like weapon, and simplified. Weapon speed modifiers? No, 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 no. That's second. <laughs> that's second edition. Oh, sorry. And, and, late, and late first edition. I I just mean. So here's the thing, right? You it's it's very standard. It's, it's kind of like standard D and D, right? You have you have armor class. You have hit points. You've got your same six stats, okay? And then in, in castles and in castles and crusades, uh, depending on what race you are, you either have two or three stats that are what they call prime. So if you if you're human, you get three prime stats. If you're some other race, you get two prime stats, okay? And prime means that your target number is twelve, mm-hmm. okay? And non-prime means that your target number is eighteen. So for your saves. Right, you're going to roll a d20, add your level, add your ability modifier, and then your initial target is either 12 or 18, depending on whether you're prime or not. Mm-hmm. For for any kind of check, there's no skill system, but for any kind of check, it's related to an attribute. So if you want to make what what would amount to a perception check, you're looking for something. It's either going to be intelligence or wisdom. You're going to roll a d20, add your level, and your target is either, you know, 12 or 18. Plus some modifiers, right? So, so it depends on what's happening. If the if the thing is really d- a difficult task, of course the number could be higher. If it's very easy, the number could be lower, right? So that's it. So really, all you have on your character sheet is, uh, you know, your AC, your hit points, your six stats. Which ones of them are prime? And the recommendation for making it quick and easy is you write what weapons you have, both ranged and melee, and then you write what your two hit bonus is, and you write what your damage is for that weapon. And if you have any special abilities, like if you're a cleric and you can turn undead, or if you're you know, a halfling and you can hide especially well, then you write those, on, and you can fit it all on basically one page. Mm-hmm. So and, you, the answer is, you're, how yeah. many players do you have? In that game, I have six players, and 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 they're all they're all on board. No no issues, no fouls, no oh, yeah. no trouble. Yeah, yeah, no trouble at all. That's interesting. But they're but they're also not. Most of them are not like primarily fifth edition players, right? They're not people coming from fifth edition. They're people right. who either play a lot of different games, most of which don't have any kind of online support, mm-hmm. or they play C and C, and so they're used to it. Gotcha. Yeah, and in Pathfinder two, so I use Foundry for Pathfinder two. Uh, and Pathfinder 2 actually, so it has a couple of character building type of of online digital help, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, and and Pathfinder, I think, has something called Pathfinder Nexus, which is basically the D and D Beyond for Pathfinder, but it's in beta, so I don't know what it looks like or how good it is. Um, but the thing is, because I play that game online fully. Uh, I need Foundry only, and it has the character sheet in in the in the PF2 system, which is free with Foundry. So, yeah, there's no. So you, I don't, I don't do that on yeah, paper. This, that this would is, be a really, really rough one to do on paper. Yeah, because that's that's more yeah, like a lot of stuff going edition D and D or Pathfinder. First I think edition, if like, my understanding is Pathfinder Two actually has an entire character sheet for just your shield. Is that right? <laughs> I almost got a spit take not out quite. of you. I almost not got a spit quite. take. You almost did, but not quite. <laughs> I've um, learned talking to people though, because I do enough shows and podcasts that when I take a drink, I never take a really big drink. It's always yeah, just you know something's coming. <laughs> I already um, know. One one thing that I did kind of that, that did occur to me, and this is true with people who want to use a lot of third party stuff with fifth edition, is that Foundry and Fantasy Grounds and Roll Twenty all have really good solutions for integrating both first and third party stuff. Right. It's really only D and D Beyond where this is a problem. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's not totally narrow. Yeah. But it's it might yeah. be narrow in the sense that there's not a lot of people who want to use third party stuff that are that are well ingrained in D and D Beyond. Could be that there's a lot of people who play D and D Beyond just happy with what's there. Right? I think it goes both directions, right? I think that um that if that that you can have, you know that let me put it this way. If there was a good and easy and relatively inexpensive way to get the the material and legally, right, get the materials put into D&D Beyond, people would purchase it, right? Because if you look at Roll20, people buy yeah. – you you mentioned the Cobalt uh, yeah. vault, Magic Vault or whatever. The, yeah. the, the, the Vault of Magic, whatever the, yeah. Yeah, whatever that. Yeah, that is actually available on Roll Twenty. Yeah, all, all the Cobalt stuff is. Yeah. yeah, 
And so people buy that all the time. So mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. if they had a way, an easy way that they could integrate that into D&D Beyond, if they yeah. were willing, I don't mean – I'm sure Cobalt right. Press is willing. I mean Wizards of the yeah. Coast yes. and the licensing and all that stuff. Yeah. I feel like if that was there, more people would use those types of yeah. books. Right after this show is over, I'm, I'm going to start holding my breath. God yeah, in in, well, in other in, in other in other systems and in other things, we have evidence that people will still buy those books, even if they own them, you know, in person. They'll buy them online. So yeah. why wouldn't they do it if Watsi could work with other groups no, to no, get? Things yeah, absolutely. No, I th- I think so. So my my historical perspective on what happened was. Um, Wizards of the Coast freaked the hell out way back when the fourth edition Player's Handbook 2 came out and they locked all of their down and they've yeah. not unlocked it since. Uh, and that's that's the entire story. A bunch well, of we have no idea. I mean, 20 years ago, <laughs> it's all different people now, right? No, it yeah, is. I mean, a brand new vice president, and, and you know, yep, yeah, but. Uh, here's the thing, right? Like I, I get they want to – like I, I understand that there are some people that are making a decision from the business perspective, right? But if the question is simply why do people not use as many third-party things, I don't think that's the right way to start that question. Like I think that premise is a little bit flawed. I think that the reason they don't is that they're blocked, not because they don't want to, yes. right? I, I don't – my thing is like I don't think it matters why they're doing why they do what they do. I think what matters is what we do about it, and and right. trying trying to figure right. well, out how to make it easier, yeah. more palatable for people and to in, use. And in fairness, stuff, after really after what seven straight years in a row of record profits, what is Watsi's incentive to change the way they're doing things? Right. So. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's here's the thing though, right? Like, so if you want to just break away from D and D Beyond, my advice is because I do a lot of things where I just you do pen and paper because because they don't have the digital tools available um but that's not that i'm anti-digital like uh freehold boreas mentioned path builder which is it is great i have path builder too it's great for building a character um but to me if you really want to learn how a character works and how the system works you build your character by hand on paper but i've been playing since 1982 and that's how we used to do it and i'm really comfortable with it i'm not from the generation that has done everything digitally right <laughs> so me, the dudes that are having trouble with mine are not <laughs> They're not but funny. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to say, like, I understand that I'm coming from a very specific perspective, right? Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that my way is the best way, and everybody should do it my way. But here's the thing: if you want to break away from D and D Beyond, so that you can integrate more of those things, you just literally have to do it. Just do it. Just start with a piece of paper, or use an Excel spreadsheet if you're comfortable with that, or use Word or Notepad or Notion or whatever your kind of way that you want to keep data is just do that and then print it out or take notes or do whatever. And so you have to write things a little bit more long form without having it do the math for you. So just do the math one time and write it out. And if you're not all that comfortable with the math, get somebody to check it with you and then write it out and, you know, write on there what, what the modifier came from. Oh, my AC is a 16 because I got a plus two for my decks and I got a plus two from the shield and I got a plus two from the armor. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you never have to do that math. And, and yet, uh, I'm not going to stop using D&D Beyond because it's way too easy. No, I, and that's, and that's <laughs> I'm just saying like for me, D&D Beyond for me is way too busy actually. Like I would rather have my spells on little three by five cards or on the purchasable spell cards and have them there and have my piece of paper Mm -hmm. there so that I've got it all right in front of me in one rather than having the different tabs and the, you know, it's all, it's all there. Yeah. But now I got to go find it and got to search. But then again, I don't use it a huge amount. So I'm not, you know, I'm sure if I used it a lot more, I'd get used to it, but I'm used to just having things on paper. I don't think I've made a, a, I don't think I've used a paper character sheet since, I don't know. Since the character builder came out in fourth edition, I guess. I, I guess yeah. as as was pointed out, there was two years of fifth edition. Trust nobody, me, we all just forgot nobody it. remembers. We all, right, nobody remembers. Yeah. But we were using paper character sheets for a while. I right. suppose. But the thing is, Jeff. So how do you use a third party book if you're only ever using D and D Beyond? You put it in through their homebrew. I put it in through the homebrew. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's it's, it's got to be harder. It's a little bit onerous, but. Right, it's I'm, definitely I'm, harder than paper. I'm sitting too. around with my wife. I'm watching TV, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's something I can do while I'm while I'm occupying mm-hmm. my mind with other things, or I'm at work and trying not to uh, pay attention to the fact that I'm way behind on grading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. 
I think there's a wide range of people who are comfortable with a, with a very different things. And the th- problem is if everybody gets comfortable with D&D Beyond, then it's hard to move away from it. So I agree with that as yeah. Mike's I need, I need. I really want to spend more time thinking about the best practices for getting used to using paper character sheets again, because I think I think that's the strength of the game. Yeah, I yep, think my, I think relying on a single tool is making is mm-hmm. making is weakening the hobby. My youngest, yeah. my youngest is in middle school this year, and they just started a D and D club after school, mm-hmm. and he was like desperately trying to figure out how he could get D&D Beyond because the website is blocked on the school's Chromebooks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he was like... Good for t- him. Has to I, learn can, math. Can, can I take the iPad to, to school so I can use D&D Beyond? No, no, you cannot. <laughs> what am I going to do? We'll make math. a character and we'll print it out. Right. And you'll be, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? I can email you a PDF version, yeah. but it's still, it's still solid. You know, it's not going to, it's not manipulatable. So, yeah. I think the start of the best practice is provide, Mike, provide a character sheet or create a character sheet or some sort of visual representation of where that character information is going to go that's easy to understand. Because one, one if you thing just. What's interesting is that there is this huge block of skills that don't mm-hmm. actually operate the way that skills are laid out there because you right. can. You can associate a skill with a different attribute, right? But they don't. They don't really. But do nobody, that. hardly anybody. Nobody does, ever see, does that's, because they got to listen. And really, I, all that right. is is an, an ability right. plus a proficiency. They and should have a proficiency one, block. Right. And that's one of my. <laughs> that's actually one of my problems with the yeah. way that they've laid out that sheet because I am one of the DMs who, when I ran fifth right. edition, I would call for the yeah. use of skills with different attributes all the time, and it always made my players go, "Wait, what?" So yeah, okay. Right. So hold on, and now I got to do this. And the math is not hard, but now they have to switch the way they're thinking about that character sheet and that information. And it's tough. That's why I say, like, if you can just lay out the information in a way that is easily digestible, but, you know... I mean, also, I'm an old grognard. So for me, I'm like, look, oh, I'm sorry. Let me weep a tear because you have to make a spend a day <laughs> making a character with the on hand by hand, right? How much time do the DMs spend doing all, a bunch of work to, you know, make sure that you can have a fun game? Like, I just, you know, if it takes you a few minutes to make a character on paper, you know, cry me a river. I'm sorry. I don't like, it's not (laughs) to me. It's not, that's not an issue, but I I do, I get it though at the same time, right? As a teacher, I understand though, that you need to present that to them as something that they can easily digest and learn how to use very quickly. And that's, that is usable, right? Because if they end up with just a piece of paper with a crap ton of stuff on it and no organization, then that's not useful either. That's as bad as just not having something in D&D Beyond or not being able to search for something or not being able to find something. Right. So. All right. Should we wrap it up? Let's it. wrap it up. We've had a th- – th- this is clearly – Mike wanting to get back to pen and paper gaming has clearly been the theme of tonight's episode. Um, so good job, Mike. You win. You've made the episode all about you. <laughs> I'm the only one. I'm the yes. only one who has trouble with this. Exactly. <laughs> go back to D&D Beyond. <laughs> I will. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode uh, once we've properly given Mike a hard time. Um, so anyway, uh, that's the end. That we. I don't know. What do I usually say? <laughs> it's been a minute. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we've been we've been Jeff, Mike, and Sam. We are on the social medias. Come and hang out with us there. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining us tonight, and say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>